No, I, I have rights. Like I've looked at my rights. They're, they're just trying to gloss over it. Hi, good morning, Jim. Um, like they're telling me we're entering and it's like, no, that's not how it works. Actually. You need my permission. We need to agree. Um, all right, wait, Sam, are you there? Yeah. Are we talking about tenants rights? Yeah. Which I looked up in Oregon and it's really no different than anywhere else because this woman who manages, um, this property, most of the properties that this management company manages are big buildings. And so they kind of treat us like we're that, but anybody who runs the kind of property that I'm in is renting it specifically because we don't want to just be another number in a huge building. Like we want the home experience, you know, and they're tr like, they're just serving notice. We are entering your unit on this day. And it's like, actually, no, that's not how that works. Like you have to have my permission. You don't just get to tell me when you're coming in my home. And the woman who manages this property is such a, a sea muffin. She's such a see you next Tuesday. <laughs> she is. is. When you told where you were on the phone and you were like, I, stop lady, just stop. Is that the same one? No, I, I've never talked to her on the phone. Uh, In fact, she never introduced herself or I tried getting a hold of the building manager several times when I first moved here and I never heard back, she never got in touch with me. The lady who owns the building actually lived in the unit above me. So it's just two units. And, um, I talked to her and I was like, are you the manager? She was like, no, no, no. She was like, I'll have her get a hold of you. And she never did. And then I finally talked to her like last October or November because she was here to look at my, the building owner's apartment because, um, she was moving out she rented the unit upstairs as well. And she, she left and I met the building manager then. And I said, Oh, hi, you know, nice to meet you. And you know, just normal. And I said, you know, I've had this issue. I've been trying to call the office to get this thing done. And she totally gaslighted me that, Oh, that's not that they're not that way. That's not what happened. I'm sure that wasn't what it was. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and after I listened to her go on, cause she wouldn't stop talking for like five minutes. I looked at her and I said, okay, well, and yet I still have the problem. And she, she just did the whole thing. Well, that's not, ba, 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 ba. and I was like, holy God. Wow. So you just I hear me and, and, and pretend like you're <laughs> no, no customer service skills, no people skills, um, no social skills. This woman, I mean, it was like, you know, you, I'm sure you've met people like that where it's like they open their mouth and you're like, whoa. <laughs> and, um, and so then I've tried writing to her. And then the next thing I heard from her, it was the same kind of thing where she was demanding that we begin to take in and out the trash and the recycling and the compost, which in Oregon's a big deal. Like it's all separate and it's a different schedule. And I hadn't had to do that the whole time I lived here. Like it was taken care of. And then I get an, a letter that's like, Hey, this is your responsibility. And I wrote her back because of the tone of it. And I just said, uh, no, it's not like, since when that's not in my lease agreement. Like, what are you talking? And it was, you know, she had just approached me like, Hey, the owner's moving out and she was the one taking care of this. And, you know, we want to get on a schedule. Can we get everybody together? Like I would have been like, yeah, sure. But I was responding to her attitude. You know, it was just like, who do you think you are? Like, she acts like she's like my mother or my boss or something. And is she, is she older than you? I have no idea if she's older than me. She's certainly crueler and meaner than me. <laughs> Um, I, I have no idea that I, she, we could be the same age for all I know. It was hard to tell, you know, but, um, it doesn't matter, you know, 
And so that whatever resolved itself. And then I haven't heard anything from her since. She's never, you know, she's just not involved. And then I get this notice the other day saying, we are entering your unit on this day, which happens to be tomorrow, which is the day after my COVID shot. My COVID shot's today. And, and I said, uh, I'm getting my COVID shot the day before. I may not be feeling well. I really can't have anyone in my home, you know, let me know. Didn't hear anything back. And yet she wrote back to the guy who lives behind my building in a studio apartment. <laughs> and so I wrote her back again and said, Hey, I heard that you wrote back the other person. Um, but you haven't replied to me. And as I mentioned, like I'm getting my vaccine, probably won't be feeling well. So write me back. Nothing. So did then you, did the neighbor in the studio apartment, was he okay with it? Did he have issues? No, he was not okay with it. And we actually hung out that night and um, he was really concerned about it because he thinks that they're going to kick us out. He thinks that when, if they buy this building that at the end of our lease, they're going to kick us all out, which if that happens, you know, it would really suck. Like, first of all, I love where I live and I don't want to move. And my kid and I, you know, have moved so many times since he's been born. I just want to stay here. I just want to stay Can here. Can just, just kick you out or don't they have to have like a, a reason to? Well, if someone new buys the property, okay, they have to abide by the lease that I have. But after the lease is over, they don't. Okay. So I don't know what the laws are here, but in California, if they force you out, they have to pay you a settlement. Like they have to pay you money so that you have the money you need to move and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start looking into all that crap because if, if, if I'm forced to move, they're going to have to pay for me to move. Yeah, at this time, at this time, who has the resources to put out that kind of money to move? For, yeah, that's that's egregious. I mean, I don't even. But it's just the whole thing is being handled in such a cold way. Like to get an email telling me they're coming in. Like, no, this is my home. You don't get to tell me that you're coming in. Like, there's mm -hmm. no emergency. There's and I looked up all the laws, and they have to have an agreement. I have to agree. Mm -hmm. So, um, and there are special rules around if they're selling the place and if it's listed, but it's not listed because the owner told me that this is just someone who wants to buy the property. Um, and even if it is listed, then they have to have a written agreement with me similar to my lease contract that we both agree. This is the schedule and this is how it's going to work. And these are the rules. It's not just like we're coming mm -hmm. ready, you know, you've done a lot of work. Holy cow. It's just, well, it, it wasn't that much. It was just a Google search, you know, but, yeah. but, um, anyway, so I have that looming and I put a call in yesterday to the management company because I wrote to her again. It was a third email and I said, Hey, you haven't replied. I know you replied to the person behind me. Um, I'm getting the vaccine. I may be sick. I am not okay. You do not. I said, you do not have my permission to enter. Mm -hmm. I said, and until you speak to me, there's no permission. So mm -hmm. I said it a little nicer than that, but <laughs> tactfully, tactfully. So then I called the office, the management office yesterday and said, Hey, I want to speak to her supervisor, which was a whole, oh God. And I mean, just the customer service that everybody's stressed out. I don't know what to say about it. It's just terrible. And, um, it was like a 10 minute conversation just to get the girl to understand that I wasn't demanding anything of her right now, that I was just looking for someone to get back to me so I could discuss this problem.
Right. And she was like, oh, oh, okay. Cause she was being really snarky and rude to me. And she, and she was like, oh, I thought you were demanding. And I said, no, no, honey. <laughs> I didn't say honey. But it's like, I, I, I'm not demanding. I'm just, I'm saying I need to talk to someone who can be calm and be professional and, you know, talk to me about this problem. Okay. Yeah. No problem. Then she got super nice and great. And, you know, nothing. It's a full day later. I have heard nothing. So I, so this morning I texted my, the building owner and I said, Hey, I know you don't want to deal with this. I know this is why you have a management company, but, and I told her everything that happened and, um, she's not getting back to me either. And she's wonderful. I love her. She was a great neighbor, but ever since this has all come up, she's gotten really weird, Mm. which I think goes to the, to the, um, point of my other neighbor that they may be kicking us out. Like she may feel embarrassed and feel bad that she knows that we may get kicked out. Mm-hmm. And wanted because she's always been very responsive and friendly and and now all of a sudden it's like very hospital corners and nobody's being a human being about it yeah that makes sense so fingers crossed fingers crossed that we can just stay here you know i don't want to so i i just met somebody who lived in oregon from the 60s and 70s and um they said from what it is now she said the homeless rate is like an untold shame of Portland. Would you say that's true? Portland is very bad for homelessness, but this is what I will say. I think it's a lot like, and I don't know this for a fact, this is just a guess, because I have noticed over the last five years that homelessness has exploded across the country. Mm -hmm. But I think that in areas where the weather is more hospitable to not having a home, you have people flock to those areas, of course. Mm -hmm. So I think that Oregon, much like Southern California or California in general, I think you get a lot of homeless people who come here and who migrate here because they can survive the elements outside easier. Mm -hmm. Has has COVID shut down a, uh, a lot of brick and mortar businesses? They were telling me that there's you like you go downtown and it's just one after the other businesses are boarded up. Yeah, but that's the same way it was in LA. Okay. Like, of course. Before, before COVID. No, no, no. After COVID. Like, okay. I remember when I was still living in Beverly Hills and I lived really close to Beverly Boulevard. And I don't know if anybody is familiar with Beverly Hills or that general area, but there's a stretch of Beverly Boulevard that's like a shopping. It's also very close to Rodeo Drive, like reasonably close to Rodeo Drive. It's like these little boulevards where you have a lot of shopping and restaurants and little stores and boutiques and all this stuff. And I remember the first time that Kai and I, I finally got him to go outside and we took a little walk down to Beverly Boulevard and got some coffee. And uh, I was crying the whole way down the street because the last time I had been out, life was normal. I was meeting friends in that area. And... um, and like half the stores were boarded up on Beverly freaking Boulevard in Beverly Hills. Half the stores were boarded up. The other half were like little stores that were still kind of open and they had like mannequins in the in the windows with like masks on. It was the most depressing post-apocalyptic thing. And and when I would drive around a little bit towards the end, like to go get wine, because <laughs> <laughs> um, it was too expensive to have it delivered. It was so scary. Like it's a part of why I left LA because I have lived in LA for over two decades. And 
seeing what was going on and understanding the razor thin edge that most businesses businesses work on there. Mm -hmm. I was like, and it was just the start. This is just four or five months in. I was like, this city is not going to be the same for a long time, if ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was do, a part of. Do you think it'll that. bring rent down? No, it drove it up. But how long? I mean, it, people can't afford that rent, right? So how and long? So, so that loops back to your thing about homelessness. Mm-hmm. No. Yep. Yeah, it's housing prices are insane because you have Chinese buyers coming in. You have all these cash buyers coming in from other countries. You have people with just exorbitant amounts of money buying up homes over asking price. And then that puts the California people out. They come up here. They're doing the same thing to homes up here. Like the homes up here are cheaper than California, but not much. Mm. Like my rent here is cheaper, but not much. Mm -hmm. And it's because you have people driving up the prices here from California, buying, paying cash, paying over asking. So people locally can't buy. And then you have the other people going into rentals, which drives up the rental prices. Like it's hard to find, like Mm -hmm. the place I'm in is a, is a find. Mm -hmm. Mostly they're building these high rise, high rises and like apartments um, that are, you know, cookie cutter and very sterile. And like, I live in a home. Yeah. You know, and it's not easy to find this. I, I I found this last second. I was about to sign another lease for an apartment, a nice apartment, but an apartment. And mm-hmm. literally the day I was supposed to sign, this place popped up. My friend saw it and it just all worked out. I just got it. And I gave up the other place without knowing I had this place, just hoping, you know. Uh, anyway, that's the that, that, that timing is so ironic. This time, what do you think what month it was? In December, when my house was supposed to sell, um, I was the plan was for me to move into an apartment, and um, I was already I had signed the lease. I had put a five hundred dollar deposit. That was on like a Wednesday night. Thursday, I had to finish cleaning out my house. Thursday afternoon is when my agent sent me a text saying. Uh, settlement isn't going to happen tomorrow. And then everything fell through with my house. But I'm telling, like that timing, thank God my payment did not go through. For whatever reason, I probably got interrupted. So I didn't actually pay the 500. Um, So then I called her on on that Friday and I said, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to back out of the, the lease I just signed because of my house fell through. everything went fine but like the razor thin edges that you can be on sometimes of like divine intervention will come in and yep change, change your plan <laughs> well that's the thing because i think it was two weeks ago that i said um because i've been moving around so much since i was 20 years old Mm -hmm. I've never been in the same place for three years. Like the longest I've ever been is almost three years since I was 20. Uh, And I'm 46 now. And it's just a lot of moving, a lot of moving, a lot of moving. And, um, you know, I don't want that for my son, obviously. And we've moved in reality. I think we've moved six or seven times, but there was a few in between there where it was like between places because of work that anyway. So in total, it's been nine times. Mm-hmm. Um, and my son's five. Yeah, that's 
And uh, I mean, he's had a very stable like experience of it. None of it was chaotic or crazy or dramatic. It was nothing like that. You know, he's felt like, but he's never had a place where he's totally felt like it was home. Like, you know, for more than a year and a half. Yeah. So I just said, I think it was last week, because I love where I live so much. Like I love my neighborhood. I love my property. I love everything about it. My neighbors, it's just perfect. And I said, I'm not moving unless I like partner up with somebody at some point and we move in together because we wouldn't live here. It's too small for, for another adult. Um, or I buy something, I'm staying here. So in my mind, that means at least five to 10 years of staying here. Yeah. And then here we go, flash forward next week. And it's like this potential, like what, like what's happening? Yeah. You can't rely on your own plans. Oh God. Yeah. So, but I do believe in divine timing. And so if that's what it is, then, okay, that's what it is. But God, I hope it's not what it is, you know? I wanted to touch on something that you were saying during your Marco Polo earlier when you didn't have, you had kind of a frustrating moment with Kai. I kick myself in the butt sometimes when I don't respond. Um, like, like yesterday, Cooper, uh, I, I had an exhausting day. I unloaded three truckloads of dirt from the bed of my truck, shovel by shovel. It was just an exhausting day. So at the end of the day, Cooper wants to snuggle and be on top of me and the dogs are around. And all I want is like, give me COVID, give me, give me a COVID diameter space. Like I need, get away from me, get, get no, no, quiet, get off of me, get away. And yet all he wants to do is like lay on top of me and snuggle. I'm fucking exhausted. I can't, I can't. And I, I felt that when you were telling your story, how he was scared of a spider and he needed you. And it's, we cannot always be on point that supportive, like mommy can't love you the same degree at 10 o'clock at night or three o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, he was fine this morning, but last night he was so terrified. Did he remember it? Do you think? He did remember. We talked about it. Okay. He didn't seem upset. I mean, yeah, it's, it is what it is, right? It's like, I'm not going to beat myself up for it, but it doesn't mean that I don't feel bad about the fact that at whatever it was three in the morning when he was basically awake for an hour and was literally, I mean, literally Sam, he climbed on top of my body and he was on my back while I was sleeping and he had his arms around me and his legs around me and he was like straight koala. And he was just terrified and he would not peel away from me. And I turned the light on twice. He was looking on the bed for the spider, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I was both like loving and patient and also just like, Kai, we have to go to bed. Like, come on, dude. Oh, I, yeah, he was the eight o'clock is when I would like Cooper to go to bed, but nine o'clock, if you can at least be in bed by nine and be tired like no fucking around after nine this kid will draw it out oh yeah like stacking (laughs) all the pillows whether he wants clothing on and then he'll take it off and then the blankets and he's fucking around for another hour oh yeah i'm just i I can't be nice at that point cooper i'm done i'm done you got to go to sleep you know you're going to be i i just uh i 
would like to be nicer and and patient but what at what point do you draw the line like this is enough do you do that of course like okay i'm gonna try and be patient but you're really testing me i mean i don't ever like scream or you know get physical or like get uh what's the word like aggressive like even in my tone because I think you can be violent with your tone you know where you're basically threatening violence like I I don't do any of that stuff with him like I always see him as I heard somebody say yesterday that all relationships are partnerships all relationships and that's true it's always a give and take and I think when people see kids as like I am the dominator of you I am the boss of you like sure that's true to some degree because we have to keep them safe Mm-hmm. But I always think that the best way is to have a partnership. So I never like get, but yes, do I, do I get impatient and irritable? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. I, I, I'm probably, I'm trying to think of what I said at like, I think I probably said like, come on Cooper. Like what the heck? I probably like yelled, come on, let's go to bed. I, I'm, I'm. Um, yeah, I'm loud and whiny and yell. I yell. I, I get it. I get it. I mean, I'm, I, I've yelled. <laughs> I've, I've spanked butts, you know, like I'm, I'm one person. And when, when a five-year-old is out of control and it's like, you have nothing left. I mean, I, I never try to touch my child and I certainly, um, do not believe in putting hands on children, but, uh, sometimes butts are there for, for smacking and I know people may not agree with that but I I can't tell you how many times I've I'm like that's what you did okay now it's it's time for a spanking you you deliberately did that to hurt something or break something I we just talked about I've threatened him and pulled him aside put him over my knee to spank him and then I just can't I can't Yeah, I've never done the over the knee thing. Like, I can't do it in that way. Like, for me, it's always just like in the moment when if he's like, I think it's maybe happened in total. And it's all been in the last year, like maybe four, four times, maybe Mm -hmm. five times. And it's just like, you know, I just swat him on the butt like, hey, pay attention to me. Stop. You know, like he's like just to get his attention. Not not like the the spanking is a punishment. It's more just to get his attention. Exactly. And I don't like that either. I mean, I don't. And I always apologize. We talk about it. Like we do like, you know, and cause I don't believe that you can teach anything by hitting, but it's, I don't know, whatever. I'm doing my best. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I definitely talk about it. I'm like, Cooper, this is hard for me. I find it very frustrating when I have to tell a six and a half year old over and over again, Cooper, do you understand blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I, I don't want to spank you, but I feel like you don't listen when I talk nicely. You know, I'm, I'm explaining the, that, the, that, the, at a certain point, it's very difficult. And I've, I've said this outright at a certain point, it's difficult for me to control my anger, just like it is for you sometimes. And I need your help when it comes to dealing with these situations. You know right from wrong. He's like, yeah. 
their minds work so much differently. You know, they really do. I, I saw a post yesterday that I put up on Instagram that I really liked. Um, I, I watch a lot of parenting stuff to get tips of how other parents handle things and perspectives and, you know, to bend my mind and to remind myself of what it feels like to be little. And I mean, I don't need a lot of reminding because I was treated pretty poorly. And so I really go out of my way to make sure that um, I'm not trying to be my kid's friend per se, but, um, but we, you know, I think we have trust and love between us, but their minds work so differently in terms of impulse control. Like they don't have that, that center there. And then if they have any issues like emotionally, which of course they do because they're fully human, like they're going to act out in different ways to try to express that. And so I'm aware of all that kind of stuff. You know, he and I have moments for sure, but, um, this, Oh, it's raining. Nice. But this mom posted this thing that I loved. It was such a sweet video. She said, um, I was telling my kids to clean up and, you know, they really weren't like doing it well. And, and I got mad or something. And then her daughter came to her later and said, mom, I know to you, it doesn't seem like a big mess, but your body is a lot bigger. And so I know to you, it looks little, but to me, I'm little, it looks big. Mm. And, and she like had this aha moment of like, right, like their perspective is different. They're smaller. And it's like the whole thing about time. Like when we were kids, the summers felt like forever. Mm. And now summer feels like it comes and goes because our lives are so much longer. And so in, in proportion to our lives, the summers are nothing. But when you've only been alive for a few years, it's such a huge part of your life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like time is different. Space is different. Like everything's different for them. And um, I know how out of control and unseen I felt when I was a kid. Like I just felt dismissed. I felt invisible. I felt like afraid all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want my kid to ever feel that way. I want him to grow up feeling, you know, like even if we have disagreements and whatever, like, and we get pissed at each other and which, you know, right now, it's why I, I don't feel bad talking about like, yeah, I've swatted my kid on the butt before. Like I, I'm not perfect. You know, I, do I want to do that? No, but I've done it. And I'm certainly not leaving marks or emotionally scarring him in any way. In fact, he laughs when I do it. I think he, <laughs> I think he might have a little kink, actually. <laughs> I'm serious. He tells me he's like, spank my butt, mommy. Yeah, that is a boy thing. Co- yeah. Cooper said that to me, too. I'm like, not in public. Yeah. Yeah. Or he'll he'll love to, to threaten he's, he wants to spank my butt. Does, does Kai spank your butt? Yes, he he says that my butt is his drum <laughs> and that it's bouncy. And I'm like, yes, it is. Mm, yes, yep. it is. But but what I say to him, this is a constant thing with him. He doesn't have problems touching other people's bodies. Like this is definitely something about us and our intimacy and being too close for too long. You know, it's a comfort level. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have problems touching other people's bodies. He knows the, the rules. He understands that your body's your body and you have say over that. His body's his body and he has say over that. Like we talk about all the time. So whenever he uses my butt as a drum, I tell him, I'm like, whose body is this? Oh, it's, it's, your, it's your body. Did I say you could touch my body? No. Mommy? Yes, honey. Can I drum on your butt? Because it's really bouncy. <laughs> I love that. That's good. That is excellent. What? Uh, just the fact that uh, you identified that he has to ask permission, that that's yep. your body. He is he can identify it. 
he knows it because he's articulating that that's the truth that he knows that that is your body and then he asked permission that is fucking great yeah i mean i want him to grow up knowing that when i say no it means no when anyone says no it means no and that anytime even if someone doesn't say no if you ever touch someone's body you have to ask permission because they also have to ask you permission Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's why anytime there's touching that goes on between us, which is like I said, it's been a handful of times. I don't like it, but I recognize that I'm fully human and sometimes I get overwhelmed and, you know, and that happens. It's, it's not ideal. But then we talk about it like, listen, I don't want to do that. That doesn't make me feel good. Does it make you feel good? No. Okay, well, we need to be a team, right? And we need to work together better, like to your point about what you say to Cooper. But he's five, you know, it, it takes time. So I just mm-hmm. keep going away. One day he'll his brain center will mature, you know. Does he still sleep with you? Um, or, or just last night? Well, he, well, what he does is he gets up and he comes into my bed. Sometimes that's like five in the morning. Sometimes it's three in the morning. Sometimes it's six in the morning. Um, but he goes in his own bed and then he'll migrate to yours. Yes, yes okay. he goes in his own bed. He, um, we use my bed as sort of a reward or a special treat because he really likes to sleep in my bed. Mm-hmm. Um, he's getting used to like being in his bed. So he, um, he sometimes still asks like, can I sleep in your bed? No, how come? Because you you know, but he's great. My kid's a great sleeper because I did co-sleep for so long. Mm-hmm. And my, my whole goal was, to, was that he felt secure. Like I didn't do the crying it out method. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of methods. There's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of parents. Like I'm not knocking what anybody else does, but what I chose to do was, um, the co-sleeping attachment method with the idea that if I put in a lot of effort up front to making him, to allowing him to feel attached, secure, and safe deep, deep down, that eventually it would mean that the leash could go very far. So it was like, I put in the work early to make him feel secure and attached so that he would feel more safe to venture out on his own and be more independent. Yeah. I I think he's, uh, Cooper so much likes to, to play no matter what we're doing. He likes me with him. Uh, he doesn't have that sense of adventure that he can like go and, and play by himself out in the backyard. And, um, he doesn't, no, and I, I've been trying to be like encouraged. Like, why don't you go out in in, in the back? Like, I'm 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 gonna be unpacking. Why don't you go have fun? Because I I just I don't remember too many times where I was like interacting, playing with my parents. You know, we my brother and I were just always Ouch. out playing, doing other things. Yeah. So well, the, the concentration of me having to be with him is him not demanding but him wanting or needing me to play along with him that's it's all the time well you and i i'm like he's watching tv and then it's like he could if he was watching tv all day he'd be okay with that (laughs) well that's what i was gonna say you and i grew up in such a different time like you and i are only two years apart in terms of age and in the 70s and 80s like, it was just like they would open the door and go, go outside, and you'd just go outside all day. Maybe you'd come home to eat. That was it. Mm-hmm. And you didn't have video games, and cable TV wasn't really a thing. 
Um, and even the little bit of cable that there was in the 80s, it wasn't the cable TV that it is now. And like now there's a whole world inside, you know. Um, and I was, I was wondering though, if maybe with your farm and all the land that you have, if maybe that will help Cooper because it's so much space, free space. Yeah. I'm hoping that, that he really enjoyed, this is what we did yesterday. I had a, um, a pile of dirt, um, that I'm waiting to put into my flower beds. So there's a big pile of dirt on the ground. I, I would pick him up and I would throw him on this big pile of dirt and we probably did that 20 times. He just wanted to be in the dirt, all over his face, all over his body. And I'm like, I want to get him a big pile of sand so he can play in the sand endlessly. Just a big pile. That's all he needs. Dirt, sand, rocks. Yeah, I know. I, I, know I had like a rope swing and I had a sandbox and I had the woods and I had an apple orchard and a trampoline and a tennis court and I had a bike and like, you know, I just, I had so much stuff outside and then there were neighborhood kids and we would just, and I remember I got a whittle, whittling set when I was like eight. Oh my God. And so I would just go outside and like whittle. Did you cut yourself? No, my God, no. Wow. I remember like making mud pot. Like I was kind of a, what they called then a tomboy. I don't know what they would say now. I, who, I, I don't really care. Um, but you know, I was never like a girly girl. Like I didn't, what they would call a girly girl. Like I didn't want dolls and I just wasn't into that. I like to go outside and be rough and tumble and, you know, get in the dirt and climb trees and explore in the forest. And that was me for sure. Yeah. That was me too. Yeah. My brother woke me up one time. I don't know what. It was very early in the morning. And we went out in the woods to look for frogs. That's all I knew. We were looking for frogs. And here it turns out my mom had called the police and all the neighbors. And they were, they were scouring the neighborhood <laughs> for us. And somebody, I remember being in my bare feet. Like I was probably three, four years old. And I remember... Um, the neighbors finding us out in the woods and, and uh, walking us up the hill. And, wow. Um, yeah, because we just wanted to look for frogs. Wow. Fascinating. Mm. I did not grow up in a safe neighborhood. Like, it was safe, like, statistically, I think. Um, like, it was pretty much all white, if not totally white. Um, it wasn't like these suburbs that they have now or these developments that they have now. It was more like old school where it was just a bunch of houses that all, you know, went up at different times, different styles and whatever. And houses were further apart and people had land behind and, you know, stuff like that. But it was, it was a neighborhood in, in its own way. Um, but a girl at the high school, which was right behind my house, not right behind because there was a lot of space and field, but I would walk through the high school all the time and bike down to it. So it was really close by. Um, a girl went missing there. There was a wrestling match and she was sitting with her mom and she said, I'm going to the bathroom. And she went to the bathroom and never came back. Oh her name was Marie, Marie Pyle Peters. You can actually look it up. Marie Pyle Peters. And that was, it's Forest Hill Central High School. And um, I was a kid and uh they never found her. And it turns out that I just found this out maybe eight years ago or something. They think they finally solved the case. And this was like 
I think early 80s that this happened. Uh, and it makes sense what they found out. Apparently they think that it was the janitor at the high school and that he grabbed her and killed her and um, put her in like the janitor's room or something. And, and maybe like put her in the furnace or something. I don't know. But I remember after that being terrified and I would think like there were little ponds and stuff all over and I would think that I was always seeing her body float up like that was kind of and that's a real backdrop to my childhood in that neighborhood that I grew up in. I know this is taking a very dark turn here, but I'm just saying like you're talking about them calling the police, you know, and like nothing like that ever happened in my neighborhood. But there was all kinds of other sinister, sinister stuff going on in my neighborhood. Yeah, that means. The uh, so this happened after you came out about your abuse. Oh no, this was before. And <gasps> in fact, I remember, yeah, and I was being abused by like a bunch of boys in the neighborhood. There was one main boy, and then he would invite other boys in. Um, and so that was, and then like there was a bus driver. I remember I got on the bus one time, and he made a comment to me about one of my abusers, like saying that I was like good. And this is when I was like eight years old. Oh my God. And I just remembered feeling like so scared. And like, and then there was another time that I was walking home. I was a latchkey kid and I went to a Catholic school outside of my district. And so I would get dropped off at the middle school, which was behind the high school. So I'd get dropped off there, walk through the middle school, walk through the high school, and then walk down my street, which was one long street. And the high school track team, again, I was eight, um, ran by me. And every single member of the track team slapped my butt, lifted my skirt oh. up, and, and pulled my underwear up. Oh, my God. So that's that's where I grew up. Can, do you, um, those, I mean, I would assume you know these people, these men's name. Do you? I know, I know. Do you want to find out what they're doing? Do you want to? Well, it's funny because the story about the track team, I actually just the other day, I don't know why, because none of this stuff haunts me. I've worked through all of it. Um, it used to haunt me. I used to have a lot of post-traumatic stress. I mean, I had a lot of things happen to me when I lived in that neighborhood. And then for anybody who doesn't know me or had, hasn't heard the long story, because I have told it on, on TikTok, uh, on lives, like months and months ago. Mm -hmm. Basically, what happened was that by the time I was 10, and I had been being abused since I was three by boys in the neighborhood, um, and no one did anything about it. And people definitely knew, including my parents, and they did nothing. Um, they just were ignoring it and pretending like it wasn't happening. Um, it, I ended up telling the secret. Um, I didn't know it was a secret exactly. It's a long story, but I ended up telling at summer camp to a counselor. And the counselor told my parents. And at that point, they had to acknowledge it because mm -hmm. another adult told them. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and so we moved like my whole life got uprooted. I, things actually got worse for me after that, but um, in different ways within my family. But it, it caused me so much trauma. Like I was so traumatized from my childhood. It took me a long time to work through that a long, long time. Um, but just the other day, like a day or two ago, I was like, I should post a story and I should specifically say where. And I should tell the story about the track team and what happened and say, hey, do you know anybody who was on the track team at that time during this year? Because chances are they assaulted me. So I just want you to know. Yeah. Because uh, why not, right? Wh who am I protecting? 
And yeah, they're absolutely out there. These are adult men now, probably in their 50s and 60s, because they were a lot older than me. If they were in high school on the track team, they were at least 15. Yeah. 16, 17, 18 years old. Doing that to an eight-year-old walking home. Yeah, and it just, it, I'm sure it didn't end with you. That's the... Uh... No, it was very casual. You know, it was a very casual kind of um, assault or battery. I guess that would be battery, right? Because they actually touch you. So yeah, and yes, and I know the name of my main abuser. Um, and uh, he got away with it. I have the police report. They just let it go. Because that's what they do. You know, there's not enough room in the system for all these people. And I don't know that the system is the solution anyway, you know. But you, if, uh, like, what came out with Brett Kavanaugh, the the uh, oh my God. Supreme Court justice, could you see yourself coming forward? I, if- I, I have come forward. I've done uh-huh. that. I felt her pain so much. Like, here she was, right? A professor. Isn't she a professor? Yep. Like, this totally legit, stand-up, amazing human, educated, smart, like totally vested in the world being painted as a liar and a whore and all I mean and she stood up there and she did it anyway I 1000% identified with her as I know millions of other women did because we have all done that we have all and this is why other women don't do it because they see what happens to these women but 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 the ones who can do and we do it even though we we get defamed you know, and, and assassinated, um, because it's the right thing to do. And you see the misogyny, it's all there right in front of you. Right. It was in our Congress. Like you saw them totally just defaming her, giving her no respect. Yeah. I I was dating somebody at the time and they were not on the, the same page. He kept saying that I was projecting my abuse onto, uh, feeding into the situation and i'm like yeah it's really hard because i've been dealing with this all my fucking life well and damn different times and damn straight you're projecting it because it's the same thing Mm -hmm. and and any woman who is in her right mind knows that it's the same thing over and over and over yeah you're right i'm projecting because it's the same thing Mm -hmm. no he didn't do it he didn't do it yeah he did he did it We just live in a misogynistic culture and in a patriarchal culture that puts men's lives and men's choices and men's mistakes over the rights of everyone else. Yeah, they just wanted to say, yeah, it, yeah, it might have happened, but let's just move on. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It was a long time ago. I That fucking hurts. It was a long time ago. I was super traumatized by the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. I mean, I... I posted a video, or not a video, a photo of me on um, on Instagram. Uh, I was just, I mean, I was traumatized. And it wasn't because of what happened to her. It was because of what I had to witness our government do to her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they just a- approved him anyway. Just like Clarence Thomas, same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just, but the, the community, the people that I was running into, like it was so yeah. divisive. Somebody had a fucking opinion and, and so few I felt were on my side. Um, so I, I, not only was it what I was, I seeing it on TV, like the people around me were just like uh, oblivious to 
to the long lasting effects. And yeah, this is why somebody doesn't come out right away. Things like. Forever, forever. Do you know how many women I know who have never told their stories and who don't even to themselves acknowledge their stories? Mm-hmm. I mean, I have zero, Sam, I have zero patience or interest in convincing anyone of rape culture. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Mm-hmm. You don't, if you if you're going to sit there and deny that, just get out of my way. You don't belong in my life. I am not, it's like when I used to work at rape crisis centers where I would answer phone calls and I would take, listen to people like process and just be there for them in the middle of the night or whatever. Um, I would actually go to the hospitals and meet with survivors um, to be with the families and to talk them through the options and just to be with them. I was an advocate. That was my role. It was all volunteer positions. And at one point I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Like I can't be on this end of it anymore. Um, it was too much to bear and I wanted to be a part of the solution. And oddly enough, I ended up on the other end, right? Trying to help people work through their problems and like, you know, not get to a point of total breakdown or whatever. But um, I just, I don't have any interest. If you don't believe it, if you're a denier, if you want to say that we don't live in a rape culture, if you want to say that women are liars, if like, if that's the side you're on, be well, Bye. I'm not here to convince you. I'm not here to argue with you. I don't have the energy for that. I'm here to work on solutions. I'm not here to convince you. Mm-hmm. It's too much of a reality. You know, it's like people saying that like people aren't starving in the world or something. Like, really? You think I'm going to sit here and have and have an argument with you about that? Mm-hmm. I don't have time for that. I don't have yeah. patience for that. I don't even. I can, now I'm here to hear you say it. I'm like, why was I even involved in that relationship? Because there were so many significant things that we didn't agree on that we kind of just like oh okay we don't agree on that let's just move on with our day and talk about other things until something else would come up that we disagree about and then we would talk or or have a you know we I think we really enjoyed debating but um or maybe we just enjoyed spewing our opinion at each other because I don't think either one of us listened to each other right god dang it why 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 did I because you were you were still playing out dynamics of what was familiar and what felt like a relationship probably you know yeah I I think it this I just like accepted like I'm I didn't have uh, very good boundaries and um what is it when you look for when you look for things in other people um, that you have not only common interests like you, you have to agree with the, the the basic human rights issues I believe like to me that I felt like that was important I felt like I was all about human rights and he was all about like I did it all on my own why can't everybody else do it on their own was he white and straight yeah. Yeah, yeah, white. Well, I don't think he was straight, but but yeah. he presented as straight in the world. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, that's why it's it's you know that's like this whole thing when when uh, for years I've had friends from high school because I've I've been a social activist for twenty five years and so in in varying degrees and roles you know and I remember a friend of mine who grew up poor, uh, white. He was white and poor, very poor. 
in Michigan. And he was like, privilege, I don't have privilege and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I remember saying to him, like, do you not understand that, that there's a difference between economic equality, which is what you're talking about, and racial equality. I was like, you know, you do have white privilege. You just don't see it because it's your privilege. And it was a long conversation to get him to acknowledge that. But yeah, this idea that, well, I did it. Why can't you? It's because they don't recognize their own privilege. They just yeah. don't. They don't see it. They didn't recognize his his privilege. And his his defense was, um, I've, I've worked with black people before and I've always supported them. And <laughs> I've tried to, to get like, I'm like, really? How many black people have you worked with in the foundry? Oh, I remember there was this one guy. Okay, in, in your whatever years of working, you worked with one black guy. You don't and think so, that's a problem? In, and in what, your years of management, you could have hired any fucking buddy. And, and you didn't. And, and what is that working next to someone with a different skin color? How does that change anything? Yeah. Yeah, like, he thought he was on the right side. Like like, oh, I stood up for him. There was a discussion or an argument or a promotion. I stood up for that guy. So that makes you like... Well, I see people do that with feminism too. Like I see a lot of men who, like something will come up and I'll try to speak. And these men will literally interrupt me, talk mm. over me in order to quote, defend me <laughs> and, and school everybody about, like I had someone say that recently, they found out that something was happening in, 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 in a, a TikTok event that I was hosting. And they were like, you should have called me. I would have been there right then. And I would have blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I didn't need you there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Anyway, this is getting into all kinds of stuff, but it's like this savior complex, you know? And um, yeah, it, the layers go deep. The layers go deep. What's the guy, okay. For a guy who has a savior or, or any guy, I don't want to generalize. A lot but of men have savior complexes and they don't understand that it's in the same paradigm as the, as the rape culture. It's, I put, I post this all the time and I've been saying it more everywhere. Cause I saw it once on a piece of art that said, release men and boys from their roles as saviors and predators. Because that is the dynamic that we create for men. Either you're a savior or you're a predator. Mm -hmm. And I don't want that for my child. Uh, he doesn't need that responsibility. He doesn't need any, to be anybody's savior. And he certainly doesn't need to be a predator. So when I find men who have these savior complexes where they want to save all the women and fix everything and come in, it's like, shut the fuck up. Get out of here. Go be a feminist. Yeah, let her be... Let her like uh, like a phoenix. Let give her the opportunity um, to to do it on her own. You know, somebody just recently came to my house and was helping me with some plumbing, and he just told me how to do it. <laughs> and God dang it, if I just didn't do, I don't need somebody to do everything for me. You know, help me with what I can, but it I, I'm gonna get so much more enjoyment. You don't need to be my savior help me do it myself you know that to me that's uh, whether it's like the the actual physical things or or just working out through something like be a space be somebody safe that I can talk to don't shit on my feelings don't mansplain things get away from that you don't have to do everything let me well and and it traps men as much as it does women right because it it 
Well, they don't know what we want, I think. Well, uh, nobody knows what they want. I mean, and that's my <laughs> argument is that it's like, we're all being trapped by these ideas. It's like why I support this, you know, all the changes with the, the thoughts around gender, because gender really is a construct. <laughs> Back in the day, pink used to be a color for boys. I have pictures of my adopted father in dresses when he was a baby. Like these things are all concepts and constructs that change over time. And so these constructs become cages because it becomes a way for people to organize life and to say, you do this and you do that. I mean, division of labor is a real thing, right? But it doesn't have to be that you're the man, so you do this and you're the woman, so you do this. And it doesn't have to be that women are either whores or Madonnas or victims or dominators and it doesn't have to be that men are predators or saviors like we can all just <laughs> it's like humanity like we just need to recognize our own humanity like i yeah i don't need a savior i it doesn't mean i don't need help it doesn't mean i don't want someone to lean on it doesn't mean i don't need friends it doesn't mean i don't need support mm -hmm. but i can recognize a man with a savior complex a million miles away and i want nothing to do with it it's toxic because it disempowers me and it traps you in something, you know, that that really doesn't fix or solve anything. Mm -hmm. Like you being a savior and beating the crap out of somebody because they did something inappropriate. How does that stop the cycle? How does that fix anything? You know what I mean? I don't know. These are this is a really random conversation today. <laughs> this is what we get when we don't have like a, a pregame. I think it was great though. Like I, mm, there's the, the conversations always go. Yeah, it's it, it was a, it was a rambler today, but I liked it. Um, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't want to go get this shot today, but I'm gonna do it. What do you mean you don't want to? I just, you know, I, I'm not excited about getting shit pumped into my body. I'm not excited about any of this, but I'm excited to do what I know how to do, you know, and, and be able to make play dates for my kid because I can say, yeah, I have both my shots, you know, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, is anybody excited about the vaccine? I mean, I, maybe some I, people. I, yeah, I hear a lot of people are excited and everybody wants, well, everybody, they post the videos, like, yeah. uh, are you trepidatious about uh, any side effects? No, not really. No. Uh I know a lot about vaccine technology and I've like just in general and the history of vaccines, like it's a really interesting part of medicine that is very unexamined by unexamined by the public as a whole. Like what most people, the story that most people have in their heads about vaccines is really just, I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend. This is just my way to explain it is really brainwashing. And what I mean by that is it's a messaging that you have gotten. Most people have not actually sat down and studied vaccines and vaccine history and all the things about that particular type of medication, nor would they. Most doctors don't understand vaccines. Doctors in medical school get about the same amount of training with vaccines as they do with um, diet and nutrition, which is like a handful of hours. You yeah. have you have people who work in that industry who then come and they sell these vaccines to doctors and they give them information about what needs to be done and it's handed down by the CDC. Doctors are not experts. Yeah, thing, I can't imagine them having to stay on top of every new drug no, and then as the side effects develop and as as more information comes out, like that's impossible to it's, expect. It's impossible. What they do yeah. is they rely on their reps 
um, for the drug companies and the CDC. Basically, uh, doctors will, they're supposed to follow the guidelines of the CDCs. Now, doctors that I respect um, who are doing their job on their part of the medical field, what they're supposed to be doing is knowing their patients and understanding their patients' health histories, um, uh, allergy, background, uh, autoimmune disorders, right? They need to know their patients, and then they just have to understand what are the possible interactions here, and you know how do I guide my patient to have the best possible health outcome. Mm-hmm. But that is not the direction that medicine has gone because of money. Right. And I'm not just talking about vaccines. I'm talking about all of medicine. The way it has gone is this is the rule. This is what we do. And we're, it's, it's non-thinking. Uh, but you have doctors out there who do believe differently and they understand their duty and their oath mm-hmm. to, to people's bodies and health, which is to, out, to look out for their health and not to follow some guideline about drugs that do not work for everybody. It was funny. I, I was having a conversation on House Party, uh, I don't know, a week ago with someone who has a really serious chronic autoimmune disease. Mm-hmm. And it's a disease that I happen to be very familiar with because I have a handful of patients that have it and that I've treated for a long time and who I am their primary care provider. And it was interesting because this person was arguing with me, which I didn't understand what the argument was. I wasn't arguing. I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she was telling me that she was, quote, pro-vaccine, which I, I personally just, you know, I don't subscribe to pro and anti-vaccine. I, I, I think that's a false narrative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm neither pro nor anti anything. I am, I am pro-patient. I am pro-health. I am pro-thinking. I am pro-diagnosis. I am pro-differentiation. Mm-hmm. I'm pro-doctor. Right. I'm pro. I'm pro thinking. Um, so everything is individual. You know, there there's generalizations, but everything is individual. I mean, there are people who cannot get the COVID nineteen vaccine. It's the reason they give you a questionnaire before you get it because they want to understand your health history. Because there are some things that preclude people. It's why, as a whole, we use vaccines to protect those people. But the way that the laws are going, it's like we don't even look at that anymore. So then what's the point? You know, who are we protecting? Like it, it's crazy. Anyway. Um, I, I have a quick story. I want to get your professional. Well, let, me, let me finish the story because what right. she was saying was she was saying she was pissed off at the people who don't want to get the vaccine because she can't leave her house because she's really uh, sick mm-hmm. and because she can't get it. But then at, in the same breath, she was like advocating for basically this, vaccine for all thing Mm. but what you're what you're describing is exactly the scenario in which it's not for all she she was conflicted within her own argument you know what i'm saying like she wasn't hearing herself she doesn't like the quote anti-vax argument which i'm not like i said i'm not on that side i'm not on any side but within these arguments or these perspectives, there is like reality in them that people just aren't looking at. People are brainwashed. They're not thinking. They're just going on something that they, you know, it's a part of why we can't get out of this argument mm-hmm. because no one's really thinking. They're just screaming at each other. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. that's that. What was your story? I, I personally don't, um, I don't have my vaccine yet. I, I will eventually, but I'm, uh... I want the, everybody else to get theirs first and then I'll get in line. You're, you're vaccine hesitant. Yeah. But you are doing other things. You are distancing, you are masking, you are 
isolating, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I have my mask and I'm, I'm not trying to, it's not that I'm against it. Um, I just take my time. I, I, for the weeds to shake out or how dust to, I don't know. Not a, That's not like I'm saying like, oh, they need to fix some bugs, but maybe there are bugs to be fixed. Here's, here's what I would say personally. Okay. Anything that we put into our bodies, uh, whether it's food or, or medicine or drugs, whatever else, we have a fundamental right to choice over our bodies. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a human right. And it is why when I hear people say, well, why don't they just pass a law requiring you to have it? It's well, because that would violate human rights. Right. Like the, the, what is it? The, the thing that came out of world war II where they were experimenting on people and they actually wrote an international law saying that you have the right to consent to any medical treatment. Like no one can force medical treatment on you. And there's a reason for that. You know, we have a right to choose over our own bodies, period. Now, the government in the past has also been pretty untrustworthy with a lot of things. You know, we've slaughtered whole nations. Um, we have experimented on black bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, we have lied about things related to vaccines and other drugs and medications. You have Johnson and Johnson, who's responsible for opioid, op- opioid addiction. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. all the, I mean, there's good reason not to trust. But don't they get federal funding for this new COVID, you know? It's- well, all I'm trying to say, I'm not trying to argue that yeah. it's a complicated system of money and power, but they also are in charge of public health. And I'm not saying that that's right or wrong or anything. I'm just saying it's complicated. And then you yeah. add to that your own right to choose over your body, which is separate. Mm-hmm. I understand hesitancy. What I wish that we had more of was informed consent, Mm. not just these talking points of saying, well, what are you stupid? (laughs) It's cured all disease. It saved the world, like all this stuff that it's like, okay, but, but can we just, can we, can we have informed consent, please? Like, can we, can we open a real dialogue? And I think we don't want to because people think it's too complex or whatever, but I understand hesitancy. I understand wanting to wait. I think that's a part of normal human, um, you know, feeling and self-preservation. But where I have a problem with that choice is when people then also choose to not mask, to not distance, to not isolate, right? They're just like, F you. Mm -hmm. Like, fine. You don't want to get the vaccine? Fine. But then you need to do other things to protect yourself and everybody else. But instead, people go around and they deny, mm-hmm. which is just as much of a problem as, um, you know, people wanting to just shut people up and, and shove medication into their body. Like I saw a video this morning from a woman who was saying, talking about the vaccine ingredients. And and I like her a lot. Like, I really respect her. And she her argument was that when people talk about ingredients and in vaccines and that like they're uh, carcinogenic and all the rest of it or things that can't be actually processed by the body. And so they're stored by the body, like the brain tissue and the connective tissue mm-hmm. that have you ever looked at the ingredients on beer and that, and the ethanol is in beer. And I'm like, okay, this is a false argument. <laughs> and this is a part of why we can't get anywhere because you have smart people saying stupid things. Mm-hmm. You drink beer. Mm-hmm. Is it healthy for you? Absolutely not. Will it kill you? Absolutely. 
So on any level of that argument, it doesn't work. You're not injecting it into the blood level of the body. Yeah. Um, there are issues. There are problems. If we can't acknowledge that, if we can't talk about that, and if we can't talk about things like cost versus benefit, there is a cost to every treatment. I don't care if it's holistic or not. There's always a cost and there's always a benefit. And this is where it gets more complex, but we live in a world of black and white thinking now. We live in a world of screaming and yelling, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that is always my, I don't know if we can get past it to tell you the truth, but. Yeah, it's very polarizing. It's to the point where if you're a Republican or a Democrat, or this is another reason why I get to not like you. You know what I mean? I've- Whether. It's so uh, blatant. Like if, if if I see somebody not wearing a mask, I might assume that they're a Republican <laughs> um, or that they don't give a shit about their neighbors or, you know, like it's it's very polarizing. And then you're thinking, uh, I've actually had people on TikTok, like I've been in other lives or I've done duels with people and they follow me. They're like, you're awesome. You're great. And then like a week later, I'll put up a video where I say something like what I just said, like where, cause I'm always between the lines. I'm never this way or that way per se, unless it's mm-hmm. social justice. Yeah. I always stand up for human rights, but, um, and I've and had, like, Oh, that's how you feel about something. Oh, they, they, now they don't quite like you as much as they did. Oh no. I've actually had people write to me and say, Hey, I really like you. And I did follow you, but I didn't know that you were this way. So I'm sorry. I have to unfollow you. Okay. Wow. It's okay. really sad. It's really sad. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I want to ask your medical opinion. Okay. As a Chinese doctor. Okay. Um, I just found out today, somebody who I had gone to elementary school with, um, he was my age. He passed away of a heart attack at the age of 47. Wow. Um, he slipped and he believes he hit his head on a furnace. He went to the VA hospital. They found a significant amount of uh, blood clots in his lungs. They took took him to a different hospital because they knew he needed uh, specialty care that they couldn't provide. So he was in the med center for three days and they released him saying, there's really nothing more we can do other than hope that these blood clots dissipate. And uh, in 10 days, he passed away from a heart attack. They didn't give him blood thinners or any kind of treatment to help the blood clots. They just, uh, I didn't, I was speaking to his mom. Um, I didn't ask all those kinds of questions. Um, that doesn't sound like a complete story. That sounds, I mean, I'm not saying it's not possible. Yeah. But it made me think of TJ and the immediate care that would have, because I think he felt hit his head and then I don't know that he went right away. And that, so there was definite time that he was in this state of not getting treatment immediately. And I'm not saying like things could have gone differently, but could they have gone differently? Of course, but you're also dealing with a medical system that it's been very close to broken for a long time, like completely broken. And with COVID, it is breaking. It is in many places completely broken. My mother-in-law fell down, what, two weeks ago 
walking her dog and her face, she ran into a fire hydrant with her head and her face, a fire hydrant, okay? Her entire side of her head was completely bruised. Her, she had a black eye. The EMTs came and checked her out on the spot. Someone called the ambulance and they checked her out to make sure that she was not in imminent danger. She made an appointment to go to, to urgent care, to the emergency room. She sat there all day and could not get seen. And it was clear she wasn't gonna be. She's in her 60s with a head injury and had a 97 year old mother at home. So after sitting there all day, she just went home. And she couldn't get in for a CT scan until five days later. And she's, she's see, still, is she still seeing the Chinese medicine doctor that you? Oh yeah. Okay. And she's doing Absolutely. good. Absolutely. And she did finally get her CT scan and everything was fine. But I think most people, I know most people really have no clue how bad the medical system is. Like, I think people really need to like go find the practitioners in your area who can see you and actually treat you. And these would be, you know, people like me. And there's not a lot of us. There's not enough of us to serve everyone. There's just not. Mm -hmm. And start boning up on home care. Start figuring out because I'm telling you, like, I'm not, I'm not being a panic person. But right now, if you're a 60 year old woman with a head injury, you can't get in for a CT scan. Mm -hmm. And, and apparently you go to the hospital with blood clots in your lungs. <laughs> just got and gone. Yeah. And you're released. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me. These stories are not, um, a lot of my friends work in Western medicine. They work as nurses, as doctors. Like this isn't just like some flaky, this is how people think of us, you know, flaky, um, alternative medicine person um, knock in the system. I, I want emergency medicine available, but we are to the point that even emergency medicine is, is not really available to many people anymore because the healthcare workers are totally overrun. I think they've lost like, I think the last number I saw was like 300,000 healthcare workers have died of COVID. Oh. And they're burnout. They were already burnout. They're already overworked. And now you have people refusing to socially distance, refusing to mask, ICUs that are filled up. Like people think that it's only COVID. It's not. If you go in for anything else, you're going to have trouble being seen because these people are, mm -hmm. they're understaffed, they're overworked, they're underpaid, they're underbraked. You know, even the people who are there showing up, they're exhausted, they're depleted, they're callous, they're cold, they're sick and tired, they're angry. Like, this is our healthcare system now. I, I'm, I'm, I was seriously, I'm trying to get back into the workforce and I've been looking for industries that really give me passion and it would be the healthcare industry, but knowing the, this, the depressed state that it's in, I, I don't know that I could, uh, don't no, you don't, don't do, do that. Don't I had a job for um, at the at a veteran center, and the job description. You know, I would be taking incoming calls and so forth. And I was like, I don't, I don't know that I can. I don't know that I can put myself in that kind. Of, it, it, it's almost like the rape call center that that you were working in. Like I, I don't know that I can handle that kind of customer service. I'm just anticipating the people that call in, nobody's happy. Everyone's frustrated. 
you know, no matter how much I want to help, I don't know that it would, uh, I, I couldn't do that kind of job. I would cry every day. I wouldn't know how to support somebody. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't pretend to have answers to this, but I, I do believe that fundamentally the answer is that we have to number one, socialize medicine, mm -hmm. which is just common sense. Medicine is, it's like food. Like everybody needs food. Everybody needs healthcare. It shouldn't be that you don't get it if you don't have the money, you know, like we need to take care of each other as a society. So I think number one, it needs to be socialized. And I think number two, it needs to be broken down like into smaller systems mm -hmm. because this federal, I, I and the CDC and the FDA and all of these organizations that play a role in our health, like, like the laws about what, what's allowed in our food. Mm. You know, we've talked about this before you and I, it's like, what is allowed in our food here is illegal in most mm. other countries. Illegal. Yeah. Because they actually care about the public safety and public health. They don't care here. Our government is interested in profit. I'm not saying that there aren't people who don't care. I'm not, I don't believe in conspiracy other than the conspiracy of profit and greed in a capitalist society that is broken. We're really getting into the shit now, but I mean, what do food dyes have business in our food for? Or these toxic oils, like canola oil is in everything. Fucking mayonnaise, Jesus, girl, I love mayonnaise. You can have mayonnaise. You just have to either make it yourself or you have to look for the one brand that actually uses avocado oil or olive oil without canola oil. Mm -hmm. Vegetable oils are poison. That's not up for debate. That's not up for discussion. Yeah, have you seen the oil aisle in a grocery store? It's, I mean, I don't, I don't walk down it, but it's yeah. Just yeah. prolific with all forms of vegetable blended canola corn it's yeah that's it's, it's so much retail space is devoted to i mean i guess you could walk around the grocery store and you could say that about a lot of things yeah and what's what are the epidemics of health in our in our country overweight heart attacks heart and disease. cancer brain disease dementia but but yeah but eat the corn eat the vegetable oils eat the soy, eat the dairy that is totally toxic. I mean, our food system is, yeah, anyway, this is not a healthy, happy discussion right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to get me so upset because, yeah, it's it's so <laughs> deep. It, it, we just, it's, I mean, I just, yeah, I, we have a morality problem in this country. We do. Our morals are not morals. They're just, it's money. It's money and greed. We don't care about people's health. And I, if anybody wants to argue that with me, uh, you're on your own. Cause I'm not arguing about things like vegetable oil and corn products and GMO wheat and corn and canola oil. And uh, oh my God, it's, it's, I mean, we're killing ourselves. When in human history have we ever eaten this stuff? Never. Mm -hmm. Never. The corn and wheat that we ate traditionally as like indigenous cultures was not what we're eating today. Mm -hmm. And it certainly wasn't pesticide and, you know, made by Monsanto where the things don't even reproduce. And 
um, and then extracting oils from it that are actually artery clogging and um, cause all kinds of problems with connective tissue and brain tissue and with pancre with our pancreas. Um, and then they tell you that like coconut oil is bad for you. I mean, it's insane because it's saturated fat. I just saw something, Randy Jackson, you know that guy from American yeah. Idol? Mm -hmm. I saw an ad for him or by him on Instagram saying something about vegetable patties, like burgers and how they fill it with coconut oil and it's as much saturated fat as beef. Mm. There were so many inaccurate things to like this one sentence that he said that I was just like, and this, and herein lies the problem. Cause you have mm -hmm. this guy up here who used to be very overweight. Now he's very thin, um, mm -hmm. which, you know, in our culture, thin equals healthy, which is not true. Mm -hmm. Thinness has not, thinness and fatness have nothing to do with actual health. Didn't he have some kind of uh, weight loss surgery? It's not as though he went about it naturally, I, I think. I don't know what he did. I don't keep up with that stuff, but I know that what he said about coconut oil and saturated fat was a complete fallacy and not based in science at all. Mm -hmm. I love it when people who are like Western say like, let's talk science. I'm like, yeah, let's, let's sit down and talk about that. And then you, you get into it and they're like, oh, I didn't know that. Like, oh, you don't say. Mm -hmm. It's like you going to that thing at Penn State where they were telling you to use vegetable oil and that it was healthy. Mm -hmm. And then you called them out on it. Yeah. And the lady was like, oh, well, yeah, actually. <laughs> yeah, it was like, yeah, you can use those too. And then I, I was like, no, it like I had to press like about the unhealthy nature of the oil. And it was like, eh, you could just tell it was un an uncomfortable direction for her. So I was like, okay, I I'll leave it at there. Right. Um, yeah. We all have brains. We all have blind spots, so we just have to be open to that, you know, and, and, and recognize that sometimes you don't know what you don't know, you know? Yeah. That and that includes me. That That's a part of why I'm always learning, because I'm always open to, oh, really? Like, if someone tells me something that's way off the beaten path of what I know, mm -hmm. um, but I've never heard it before, I don't just go, you're an idiot. <laughs> I go, or accept it. Like, just, just like the letter you got today from the management right. company. You just don't have to accept that you got this letter and you got to be out of your house. You know, no, there's. Well, what I say, I say, interesting. Huh. <laughs> tell, me, tell me more about that. I'd like to know more about that. Yeah. And then I follow up, you know, I investigate, but whatever. It's fine. I'm going to keep uh, eating my vegetable oil in my smoothies every morning and move on with my life. <laughs> Oh, thank you, girl, for this hour and 18 minutes. Oh, my God. Um, good luck with your vaccine. I'm sure you'll do well. And um, yeah, I got to go in a little bit. Go go get my arm stuck. I'm going to I'm going to be able to from what I'm told with the second vaccine, I can like communicate with the satellites around the moon. Oh, my God. That's so cool. I can't wait. I'm, I might grow a tail, though. It is the Pfizer one. I've heard that squirrel tails do um, sprout with the Pfizer vaccine. Cool. I can't. <laughs> Sorry, I'm making fun of people a little bit. I can't help it. Some of the stuff I do is so funny. Well, yeah, you have to. Yeah. Well, thank you, girl. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.